Welcome to Bellies, Babies, and Birth. My name is Amy Vanderlinden, and I'm a physical therapist specializing in pelvic health and myofascial work. I have a passion for helping women thrive throughout pregnancy, delivery, and that postpartum period so that they can get back to the activities they love. This podcast is to help provide education and resources and also to build community, particularly here in the Phoenix Valley. Enjoy! Hello, you guys. We are back with another episode of Bellies, Babies, and Birth. My name is Amy Vanderlinden. I'm a physical therapist and owner of Moment of Truth Physical Therapy here in Phoenix, Arizona, where it is hot, hot, hot right now. We had a lovely weekend, and now it's climbing back up. Um, But it's a dry heat, right? So um, I'm very excited today to have my friend and colleague, Jocelyn Connolly, on. Jocelyn is also a physical therapist and also specializes in pelvic PT, and we share quite a bit in common, actually, but uh, I'm going to let her share a little bit about herself before we dive in. Thanks so much for being here, Jocelyn. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and some of the steps that have brought you to today? Hi, thank you so much for having me on today, Amy. I'm super excited to have the opportunity to be on the other side. Um, so I, uh, wow, I think I've told this story so many times, so I'm going to try to be, I I get better every time, but I, uh, yeah, I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. Uh, I got into this specialty or I fell in love with it, uh, probably my first year of PT school. And I remember, so I went to school at WashU in St. Louis, which, is really, really immersed. They they immerse us in women's health from first year, which is amazing. But I remember sitting in class and they were like, and Tracy Spitznagel was teaching in the front of the room. She's like, yeah, we host the pelvic level one through the APTA. You just have to be a patient and um, be a therapist. And at that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, no way. At the same time, I had been on a early clinical experience in my, it was first semester, and I was with a physical therapist who worked at Select at the time, and she was a hybrid. She she was the pelvic floor physical therapist and then also saw ortho cases, which is pretty common. And she was so, I, I mean, just like one of the coolest people that I had met and in, in our profession very professional, but also just, I could feel her energy. And I just, I witnessed the change that she was able to experience with her patients. And it wasn't just like, Oh, my ankle's better. My knee pain's better. It was like, no, you saved my marriage. Like that's what people came in and just, they would come in and just be sobbing. And Megan, that, that's her name. Megan said to me, you know, I offer my students to the opportunity to, I'll do an internal exam on you so you can understand what your patient, what our patients are, are coming in for. And I remember at the time I was going through such a difficult, um, I was in my, I was struggling on my own with my sexual health and pelvic health. And I said to myself, I was like, Oh no, I'm good. I don't, I don't maybe in the future. And meanwhile, I was scream. My soul was screaming. So fast forward 
to the second semester of my first year of PT school. And we had site selection day. So this is the big, when we choose all four of our, or three of our clinicals. And I was dead last. All my picks, it was last. How does that even happen? Fortunately, I had been on a, a, the start of my like new awakening journey of just changing the way I perceived the world, trying to remove projected perceptions that I had grown up with and around and trying to get form my own. And so I looked at this as an opportunity. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is meant to be. There's a, there's a reason why I picked last. So I ultimately, I just went with, there was not many sites to select from. So my second rotation, I chose one in Ames, Iowa, because it, it just felt like it would be as similar to Penn State, and that's where I went to college. And so at the time, I was uh, trying to, I couldn't find anywhere to live. And the only place that I could find to, to live was with a guy that was a hockey teammate of a student that was in the class above me. And so uh, I was like, okay, up to the week, I was trying to find a different, different place to live. I had a lot of trust issues for years because I had been, I'd found out like the, I was living somewhere and I had found out that I was being recorded without me knowing. And so anytime I walked into a private space, whether it was a bathroom, a bedroom, I was really paranoid. And at that moment, I was in college at the time. I went from having, you know, your typical like 18, 19 year old, like sex. It's not great sex when you're that young, but, uh, it wasn't like after that scenario. So I, this happened. And then suddenly like I left, like we talked the other day, I left my body and like disowned it. And then there was one day in my second year of college where, or third year of college where my body said no, and I couldn't have therefore couldn't then have sex for years. It just was door closed. And then I was just afraid from that point forward. So while I was in college going through that journey, I came to a point, I was an engineer and I almost dropped out. I was like, I, this, I hate this. I hate myself. Uh, this isn't the life I want to live. I almost transferred out of Penn state, but then I trained for a marathon and, uh, I eventually, like, I was so unhealthy as I did it, like, would drink the night before and then run 10 miles the next day, very poorly nourished, terrible, so dehydrated. And so I ultimately got injured and to the point it hurt to walk. So I didn't run for a month before the marathon. And then I ran the marathon and I, I just, my mom just texted me not too long ago, my, my time. I ran the marathon. I didn't run for a month. I ran it in four hours and 25 minutes or something like that. That's absolutely insane. Yes. Now the thing was I hit the wall at like mile 13 and I peed myself the whole time, the entire time. And it was so traumatizing. I remember just crying during the marathon to my sister 
And I was like, I don't know what to do. Anything I drank just went right through me. So that was a, a, a such a positive experience and, and kind of it connects soon. So I changed my major to, to, to kinesiology and decided to pursue physical therapy because I already take, took, took calc-based physics. PA school didn't require that. And I did not want to go to med school because all of my physicians had, I just had a negative, I'd had negative experiences. Like I would ask for help regarding my periods and just be just dismissed. Mm -hmm. I asked, I asked why sex was painful at a time, at a point in time. And the typical answer, like you need to be in love or you need to relax. This was in college. Right. Or assuming that I had an STD right away. I'm like, no, it, this is, this wasn't here before that. So I, in college then found, I was in a 400 level women's physiology course and it was the most amazing course that I had because it kind of brings up 360 degrees of women's health from the foundations of it. And so I remember sitting in class and being like, oh my gosh, so it's not good to lose your period. It's not good to treat everything with birth control. It's not good to doggy bag your dinner and then go play elite at an elite level for a whole weekend. And so I remember sitting in class and Mary Jane D'Souza, if you ever look at the papers on female athlete triad or reds now, she's typically on there. And I just, I felt what I now feel is the issue in pelvic health as a whole. So fast forward, I'm in Iowa in the, I'm on my first rotation and, or second rotation. And there's a pelvic floor physical therapist Naturally, me and my roommate fell in love. We just so happened to. I mean, the, the energy was in the connection was just unbelievable. And I did not want to ruin it. I, like, I had been chewing away guys for, for years because I didn't want to have that conversation. And I was too ashamed to even go to date because I didn't feel worthy. So uh, I shared with him my story. He was the first guy and like, Base, and she was the first healthcare provider that I just dumped this heavy load on. And she basically, she did an exam on me and she walked me through my anatomy, even though like at first I'm like, you're nuts. And uh, that day she completely changed the tra trajectory of my life. Just being able to communicate like to someone that didn't dismiss me. And at that point, I was able, because I told my story, I was able to say it again and then again. And then soon I get back to Wash U. Well, first I was able to have sex, finally, without pain, with significantly less pain. I was able to, one, the success was being able to do it. And two, was it being, you know, not a scary experience. And so uh, at that point I was like, okay, I'm committed. I took pelvic level one. And then I traveled back. I was on my rotations in Seattle for six months and then took pelvic level two and pelvic level three as an auditor and then as a patient. So I didn't get to exam at that time. And 
when I was on my clinical rotations, I wasn't able to do that, but I had this, I knew that my patients with back pain or hip pain that were not getting better with traditional approaches. I mean, there was like, there was something missing. This is pelvic health. This is either this, my athlete, she was a basketball player. She was either having issues with, uh, some endometriosis or something, you know, primary driving it, or it was a relative energy deficiency, a, a bone, um, a bone inflammation issue. And, um, it was just so, such a strong calling. So then once I, uh, was in my final year, I applied for residencies and ultimately got one, but decided to take a job, uh, at my job in Gilbert, Arizona at the time, because I had an opportunity to build a program with another physical therapist and we can kind of just build it our own. And I'm pretty much a self-starter. I do well with sink or swim. I do well with certain mentors, but like if I were stuck at the same place for three years, which that was like you did your residency and then you had to do another year and a half. I don't know if I would have been able to do that at the pay rate that they they did with my loans. Nonetheless, uh, you know, I got, it, it has just been so, so amazing being able to see a, a person and really be able to treat them holistically knowing about their pelvic health. And, uh, I got, I got to the point though. So I left my full-time job and started my own business and took on the, the brand of the vagina doc with my business name being the vagina doc, physical therapy and wellness, because I found that as a provider in an insurance based clinic, I could not treat the person. I had to treat the insurance company. For sure. I mean, I was like, we have standards as employees, right? We're expected to reach these things. And if we don't, it, it's, you, you, there's a penalty in some regard. And so instead of spending a whole hour on education, which I had, a, I had it lucky at where I worked, like I had a lot more time than most therapists, but instead of spending an hour to, on manual and education, which a lot of people need with especially pelvic pain, I was trying to distribute my care because, or I wasn't, and I was spending hours on justifying note wise. So right. then I burned out quickly. How long were you at the place in Gilbert? I was there for a little over two years. And was that, was that job what got you to Arizona? No, no. I got to Arizona because I didn't get the first two residencies I applied for. And the third one was in Tucson. Okay. And so my cousin lives in Scottsdale. So I live with her while I studied for my uh, boards and I wasn't even going to apply for jobs. Like I was all in, I wanted to work at the university level. I wanted to be the person that was transforming, uh, uh women's health and athletics in terms of rehab, the rehab and performance space. So that was, that was the plan. And then, um, I, I just fell in love with working with active women in general and just started to get jaded with the university culture and the way that they shaped. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm so grateful for the way that I was taught in, uh, at, at WashU. It was fantastic, but 
they would have freaked out if I would have said, I'm the vagina doc. You can't say that. You can't do that. Or the, the thought of going off on your own and having a private, a private practice that's mainly private pay is, was looked down upon. Yeah. It's phenomenal. You got exposed to women's health your very first semester. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Every semester had a piece of it. I mean, so the, the awesome thing, the thing that I really fall in love, fell in love with is my favorite person to work with is an athletic mom or a, a woman that has pelvic pain and sexual dysfunction that never had kids. Why? Because I'm so, that's my like bread and butter, both of those. And, uh, I know that a lot of these things have the relative energy deficiency syndrome component as the really like the root of the issues. So talk about that a little bit. I don't think most people have heard of relative energy deficiency syndrome. So talk about that for a minute, please. So relative energy deficiency syndrome is basically in the simplest definition, the amount of energy or food calories that you take in is not meeting the demand of what your body is using to uh, keep your organs functioning and to keep you running, just doing your living your life, not even adding on physical activity, taking care of your kids, and then also uh, exercise, structured exercise. So your metabolism is too high, but what's the other component of it? The, it's very, every time I look up, up, look it up, there's something new and it, it literally includes every, the main, uh, hormone axis, the hypothalamic pituitary axis is the, like, do you hear Louie? Your dog. Yeah. That is, uh, basically that drives the, uh, down the, uh, thyroid, the adrenals. So, cortisol, your uh, sex hormones, the way you metabolize bone. So the, the, the first thing that people think of, at least, you know, if you're in healthcare and you're aware of it is you're not giving yourself enough fuel to keep your bone mass and to keep your fertility cycle going. Um, and then the third would be, uh, so it's bone, uh, and this is when we see like high level athletes with low body fat that um, don't have their periods that have really thin. Is that, is that the population that has this syndrome? No. Yes. Yes. And no. Okay. So one of the coolest things about being at Penn state was that was a hub for this research. And one mistake that, a lot of people make is they assume it's just the low body fat population. But the key word here is relative. So let's say your homeostasis is at a certain percent of body fat. And then suddenly you cut a major, major, like cut back majorly and your body weight goes down. So let's say it's 25% and then you cut down to 18% that could put you into this, this clinical syndrome. And it's, it's so hard to diagnose because there's no standardized way to measure your energy intake and everyone's different. 
And the issue, another issue is, is it's categorized as like risk, risk category is your high risk, medium risk, low risk. And so what I think is, and I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out to some of the professors at Penn state to bring them on my podcast to, to talk about this. It's the people, moms aren't even being paid attention to because it's like, Oh, it's just athletes, but it's not. Think about moms that are pressured to lose the baby weight or get back to running where they were, not realizing that their energy demands, irregardless if they are, if they're breastfeeding or not is higher because they are healing for that 18 month period. They're not only in charge of themselves, but their family in a large degree, like they're taking care of their kids and then and they've had these massive hormonal shifts lately yeah so that some sort of switch gets flipped and their metabolism is not distributing nutrients yeah and so they their body goes into this starvation mode and it's really hard to identify which system is actually the most impacted if you're presenting with stress fractures or what i like to consider that no test or image is going to show except if you have a DEXA scan. And even that, who knows, is uh, bone stress reactions, like just bone inflammation at the pubic symphysis, at the femoral head. Just because there's no stress fracture doesn't mean like you're not in the, you're, you're in a fine way. And the problem is you go into this, like, what the heck is going on with me? No one can tell me. Well, bone is a whole new ball game. Like your physical therapist cannot fix your bone we can load it safely, but that was showing up again and again in my patients. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I would ask them, okay, what's your history? What is your date? What do you eat on a daily basis? And then we go into, you know, uh, they start, it's the body image. And I was reading in the, in a, a, a research article that psychological issues can be caused by reds, but it can also drive reds. So and got the postpartum blues potentially and all those factors playing into it. I, that is my thought. Now I am not, I'm just a physical therapist that is a complete nerd and did so much extra because I just had a sense that there was a missing piece. And I think different specialties are talking about it, but we're not talking about it together. And it's not even being acknowledged in postpartum women, but meanwhile, postpartum women are depressed, anxious, their metabolic system is fatigued because it's just like going nuts. And then, you know, they're uh, not sleeping, but then they're being prescribed potentially sleep meds, which is again, like prescribing a woman birth control when she needs calories instead of, instead of uh, normalizing her period. So that has really influenced me in my business because it was really making me crazy that this component of a woman's health was not being acknowledged. So part of what I have done is I want to work for other physical therapists like you to continue my clinical practice. Cause that's something that I love so much, but also create in my own business, some sort of collective of, education and or consulting for women that they have pain problems or pain points that are just not being resolved, but 
we know that it's not just one thing. We know that there's mental health, physical health. And it's not just one person. Well, obviously that's one of the big picture items you and I are on the same page about in addition to both having dogs and both loving fascial work and so many other things we have in common, both being sevens. We won't get into that again. But um, so I think some of the language that I use that I see with the mom so much, tell me if this fits because I haven't ever really heard it identified as this syndrome, but absolutely the cortisol imbalances. I talk about it with the revving and you'll probably hear John teach this as you go to courses. He talks about it like you've got one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake at the same time. And our systems just rev. And of course, like cortisol, hormone imbalance, all these things that are off kilter with the, you know, endocrine system, sometimes driving autoimmune. I have some theories that you and I should chew on at some point about women and autoimmune showing up 12 to 18 months after baby um, due to the, these switches that somehow get flipped and, and, wonky, off kilter, whatever word you want to use to it, um, as they're trying to adapt to this whole change in their system. And again, they're not, they're just dismissed. Oh, it's baby blues. Oh, you're just hormonal. Oh, you just need sleep. Oh, your nutrition. And those are all pieces that need to be looked at. Absolutely. But it's always put back on the moms, like they're not doing the right things. And that is such crap. And it makes me angry. And so again, like why we, why we have the practices, the way we have our practices, right. So that we can help have these conversations with women so that we do have the time to spend with them to dive into these other areas, not to go out of the scope of our practice. That's why I'm trying to build the space. I am and have a therapist there, a counselor and have, um, you know, nutrition workshops and all these pieces to put together to just help women get more answers earlier even the pelvic pain stuff, they go years undiagnosed and misdiagnosed. And to your point of, you know, all this information, like this is really high level information to expect a mom to be able to consume it and implement is actually funny. Like that's a joke. It took me to be a doctor to be able to synthesize this information and even implement it myself like as a, as my, as my own and let alone as a patient. So it's sad the way that moms are dismissed again and again. And I, I, to the myofascial release shift. So I'm a much more movement-based physical therapist. Movement's my first language, but with, there's to a point where I can be really helpful, especially female athletes. But I cannot help women that where movement is not the driver. Well, let's say it is this metabolic stress. Well, that metabolic stress tightens up the fascial system. It wrecks the fascial system. And the thing that gets the person relief is myofascial release. It's crazy. So, uh, regardless, you know, I want to help people. I want to help take away their pain. It takes time to fix someone's metabolic system, but you can help a person immediately by tuning into their fascial system, which so often holds 
the story of the emotional drivers and things that are driving their behavior, whether it's, you know, for me, all the emotions that were held from my trauma. I mean, our tissues remember. We might not remember up here, but they do. So I would just, it's unbelievable now that I've been exposed, like movement's great, but I couldn't always help people's pain. And that made that I didn't like that. Well, and you're going deeper and we can't be experts in all the things. And yeah, again, circling back, like, man, this is through years of studying and years of reading and years of putting pieces together from different clients and different things we've been seeing that we even get to this. And yeah, it's conversations with other providers and hopefully more of those that'll be happening. And, you know, I work with more midwives than I do, you know, the hospital setting, but just having those conversations about what they're seeing and how they can help intervene and, and step in and maybe better screenings postpartum. I mean, there's a lot of people working on all that stuff and looking forward to collaborating with you on some of that. So yeah, I mean, the fascial stuff, I, I love it. That's my first love. I personally love movement, but with clients, yeah, I like that um, we can offer that deeper healing with the emotional piece, with the you know calming that fight or flight that's kicking off in their system, helping them not rev. Um, I love that, uh, that analogy that you use. That's such a great analogy. Yeah. That revving usually resonates with most people and it's, you know, there's so many drivers. And so if we can help even take away some of the drivers, um, yeah, it increases the impact for sure. Well, the next question I want to ask you is how did you think of the name vagina doc? Is the last three with that, or did it just come to you? It popped in my brain when I was in uh, Clearwater, Florida last May at uh, Greg Todd's live event. And I was like, no, that's crazy. And then one of my friends that actually lives out here, she went to the event. She's like, do the vagina doc. I'm like, okay. I thought of it before here. You're telling me to do it. I'm just going to do it. And um, So that's barely a year old. Barely a year old. And... Uh, Happy anniversary. Thank (laughs) you. Whatever. Yeah. I can't believe it was, I almost didn't take it because I couldn't use it on Facebook. And I think I am currently not, I'm, I'm Instagram is mad at me for saying my recent post of saying vagina, like vagina, vagina, vagina. Whatever. Yeah. But I wanted something that was catchy that people wouldn't forget. And at first, like I was embarrassed for whatever reason, but it's funny to think of all the insecurities that I had like a year and a half ago. Cause now it's like not, they're laughable. Yeah. But the whole purpose was like, I knew that I was going to get pushback, but even though if I got pushback, people would remember me. And when they were ready, just like our patients, right. they would know that I would be there. So in the whole purpose of my, my business brand, my name is to get people to acknowledge that the word vagina is just a word and we need to start using it as such so that the, our kids don't fall into the same like shame patterns as we did. 
Awesome stuff. So I have another question for you. Another thing we share in common is a love for CrossFit. How did you land there? I know you were an athlete all growing up and everything, um, but how did you come across CrossFit? What, what did you fall in love with about it? When I was in PT school, I was teaching fitness classes and it was at a CrossFit gym. And I was, when I taught the fitness classes, I was doing them. So I couldn't do CrossFit and do and teach. It was just too much. But I figured that I wanted to be able, that was when I was trying to bring on my new perspectives. And I wanted to be able to relate to whatever my patients, active patients wanted to do. And then when I moved to Iowa, I knew I didn't, I wouldn't have friends. And I heard the CrossFit community, that was what it was about, the community. So I joined the first time. I did a class or two in, at the gym that I was part of in St. Louis. But first gym that I joined consistently was in Iowa. And um, I did, cro- I joined gyms when I was away on my clinical rotations and then uh, officially joined and stuck to it once I moved to Scottsdale. And what I love about it is that if you allow yourself to become a student of CrossFit, that's the key. You have to allow yourself. There's always something to learn and become a student of. And it's really, it is the, I think CrossFit teaches, if you allow it, teaches you how to move in, in life and teaches you principles on pacing, mindset, other aspects of health that other fitness programs don't. And I like that it, even though it's unspoken, the strong is sexy. It's not this skinny, like, hit body that you see on, like, in Cosmo. It's like, these girls are... These girls work hard. So that, mainly the community and mainly the journey of it. I'm not competitive. It allowed me to get uncompetitive. In fact, taught me like uh, some self-control in that every time you walk in the gym, you don't have to PR. In fact, if you're trying to PR every time, you're competing with yourself. Competing with yourself exhausts your central nervous system. And you need, like, working out should be training and practice and then competing, like, every once in a while. Yeah. It's funny. I feel like that's one of the biggest things with CrossFit, too, is, like, it's so much more than a workout in terms of the mental game and the, the mindset stuff. And it's, like, yeah, there's so many lessons to be learned, like you said, if you have that student mindset, if you have that, and I mean, gosh, as PTs, there's so many aspects of the things they do that I'm sure when you first saw some of it, I know when I first walked in, I, well, first of all, I avoided it for like two years because like those people are crazy. They're just hurting themselves like it. That's crazy. And then when I went in, I mean, I have to admit, I drank the Kool-Aid pretty fast. Um, I, I fell in love with it pretty quick. But it took me a long time to fix my squat because of how ingrained in me it was like butt, back, knees stay behind the toes, like all of that stuff that was, it's like, wait, my body's made to bend. My body's made to move. So we don't need to go down that whole rabbit hole. But yeah, lots and lots of lessons about when to push yourself and when to just train and... um. I do like the aspect though, that you are just competing with yourself, not the other people in the gym. And that 
um, you know, one of the, well, it's an, I think it's a Navy SEAL thing, but like the only easy day was yesterday. Some of that mindset appeals to me, but also just the, I'm only competing with myself and that leads to just strength and health and building blocks that I don't know, I've really enjoyed, but you do bring some of that into your training as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember, oh, I went through that chunk of time. This was before I met you, uh, where I was so broken from leaving my job, just the stress of not having a direction. And I remember the workout was like, it had to be 20, I think it was 21, 15, nine squat snatches and chest of bar pull-ups. And at the time I was like, I'm only going to the gym to build resilience of the challenging times with business because it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And I quit. So when I tore my ACL going into my senior year, I quit. I, I, that was my time to walk away. And I just viewed myself somewhat as a quitter. Then it was an easy way out. Whereas now, like when the going gets tough, am I just going to quit? And how can I reframe my mindset to have a productive workout, even if it's not necessarily breaking records? Or even RXing. Yeah. Chest of ours, damn. And even, and I don't think I did at the time. And I recall, like, I've had so many realizations, like, just going into the gym and being able to stick to the same intent is more, I think, impressive than RXing. Or having the humility to ask yourself the question of should I versus could I? Yeah, sure, I can RX this 90, 85-pound snatch for what is it going to be, like over 50 reps. But, I mean, could I? Yeah, should I? I think I'm an idiot if I do. Yeah, that could I, should I question is key. And so that is one of the first conversations that I ask, or I bring up, I ask, like, what does it mean to you to RX? Like how, what kind of personal standards do you hold yourself to when you, there's double unders and you leak at double at when you get to 40, what, what does that mean to you? And so it really helps that I've been through a lot of it to relate to that kind of mindset and that mental growth, because you know, if, if you CrossFitters are hard headed, yeah. Um, if, if you can't relate to them, they're not going to listen. But when you say, Hey, I was there and I think it's more impressive when the people around me are humble enough to step back because they take steps back. And then when they, then, then they just, they take leaps and bounds forward. Right. So this is a little bit of a trick question. Cause I already know the, <laughs> the answer, but so someone is not like, they don't have prolapse. They're not really having pelvic pain. They're just wondering what this whole pelvic floor athlete thing might be about. Do you think pelvic floor therapy matters for someone who's an athlete, but not really symptomatic? So I'm, I'm writing a book right now. And this is a, this is a question that I'm current currently writing about actually. And, um, I think, my answer is not straight, but I would say the pelvic floor is involved in supporting basically every physiologic function in your body. 
from the sump pump, meaning like getting the blood back to the heart, to sexual function, to bladder health, to bowel health. And, and it's part of the deep core, which your deep core is what enables you to transfer power from the ground up and control pressures. So at the basic foundation, I think it's worthwhile for an athlete to be paired with the right person. Because I don't think every athlete would benefit from seeing any, just any pelvic physical therapist. But just to get a baseline, hey, this is where you're at. This is how you can utilize or you can, you can improve your athletic performance by just knowing about this area. Well, and I guess the trick part of the question was considering your experience not even related to the improvement in your symptoms, but the videos you sent me about your lifts. Oh yeah. So Amy's talking about the time where I went in and my, my biggest complaint was I was having vaginal heaviness. And, um, I mean, every time I picked up the barbell, I was thinking about my vagina. I'm like, what the heck? And I would, I would leave after deadlifting and squatting and cleaning. And I just felt feel heavy for the rest of the day. And, I just wanted rid of the heaviness. I was already lifting pretty heavy. I was pretty strong. But once I I wasn't leaking much, I did a little bit. But I, but there were times where I didn't have any symptoms at all. And so I was like, I don't really need to deal with this. But then I got help. And I was so amazed by how not only my symptoms went away after like one or two visits, but uh, – how amazing I felt in the gym. Like I would send Amy videos of clean, like cycling cleans that were 115 pounds. Um, I know that I PR'd my clean, I, my squat clean to a 140. I PR'd my st- squat oh, snatch. Video stuck with me. Yes. I, I can't remember it was 115 or 120, but like, and it felt light. And I mean, my deadlift went up to 240. It was insane. And I, all, I didn't have any really issues. All it was like my pelvic floor was so just my abdominal wall more so. It's just really restricted and your, my, your abdominal wall and the pelvic floor is connected. I couldn't even breathe. I could breathe okay, but not, and I'm, I knew what I was doing. Imagine if you didn't know what you're doing, which right. a lot of athletes don't, but yeah. Oh my gosh. If you don't have issues, yeah. you don't know you don't know your potential until you experience it. Well, and I just, so many athletes that I work on tend to be overly tight. And so, yeah, just when we can make those muscles all move better and all move together where, yeah, the breathing and the pelvic floor, like it doesn't have to be like a conscious concerted effort, but when those things just move more and can contract more, it's fun to watch. Yeah. And it's fun to experience as the, as the athlete, like my, my friends at the gym, they're like, Oh my gosh, you're a machine. Like, I know it's because I'm, I'm seeing a pelvic physical therapist and getting things taken care of. Yeah. Your videos were super fun. All right. So let's see, where should we go from here? All right. So one of the things that I definitely wanted to have you on, I had super good time like you said, flipping the order around and being on your podcast a couple weeks ago. Has that even aired yet? 
No, I so with the the recent uh, things that's been going on, I feel like there's other things we need to be talking about. Yeah, so I'm thinking about releasing it on Sunday. Yes. Well, tell everybody about your podcast. What's it called? So my podcast is called Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs, and it's available on all major platforms, but. We, my audience is similar in that just moms and women, but I am more of like, I'm not, not local. We talk about all things. I'm a lot of sex talk, a lot of things that, um, are taboo. Uh, my, my friends are like, you need to talk more about stuff related to things that we care about. So I've been making that shift a little bit more, but Got some exciting things down the pipes, but I, it's been a halt with the things that are going on. Well, I know you've had some frustrations and some bumps in the road with what you wanted to create with your own private practice. Um, and so the amazing news, you guys, is that Jocelyn and I are tag teaming it up here to hopefully be bringing you the best of both worlds. So. I want to be able to help more athletes than I even do now and um, combine some of our CrossFit efforts. And um, we're going to both keep our podcast going as resources for you guys, because we do bring up different issues and different topics. And, um, but she really wants to be able to help with some of those things that my fascial does. So she started taking classes in that and she's going to train with Melissa and I, but uh, she is going to become part of the Moment of Truth team for a while. And we are very excited about that, especially as we're moving into the new space finally uh, soon. More about that to come. Um, but yeah, just continuing to build and grow this dream team to combine services for people here in the West Valley and just throughout Phoenix and serve more women and hopefully serve them better. So I'm really thrilled that we're going to do this thing. It was so serendipitous when Amy and I met. It's kind of bizarre how it all came together. Yeah. I mean, the things that she and I connect on and that we can bring to this, to the community is just, I get the chills. I get the chills when I think about it. And um, I didn't want to give up patient care at all. I'm definitely, my presence is online, but my passion is just working with people. So it's given me an opportunity not only to learn from you, Amy, but also, uh, I mean, you say the West Valley, but who knows where I this- know, right? <laughs> we were talking about that yesterday. Who knows? And, um, you know, more than ever right now, obviously online possibilities have exploded. Um, but I know too, you're, you also do, like you said, have a heart for the hands-on and a heart for those tangible stories with women, that connection, of helping, you know, change their lives, helping moms feel like themselves again, helping women get their sex lives back, like all those things, like helping them care about having their sex lives back. Um, all of those pieces and just being, being a massive resource for them for even the things that aren't something we're going to provide, being able to tell them, Hey, this person's amazing at this and this person can help with this. And just, um, I know we both care a lot about that network and those connections. I'm so, I couldn't be more excited to do this. 
Yeah, this is going to be amazing. So you guys will be able to see Melissa and me and Jocelyn all at Moment of Truth coming very soon. Uh, she's going to be getting on the schedule here in the next couple of weeks. So um, we are thrilled about that. And um, so the question I always love to wrap up with, can't wait to hear your answer. I always have a saying of, I don't want women to just be living or surviving. And so often, so many of us, for a lot of reasons, are kind of cruising, if we're even cruising, if we're not drowning, we're cruising along in survival mode. So a big heart of what healing means to me is that they feel like they have joy back and that they're thriving, uh, healed, whole, all those words. What ways um, are you most passionate about? What is one way you are most passionate about helping women thrive? Oh, what a, that's a powerful question. Um, I really, one of my passions is to empower women to really believe that their self-care is, they're worthy to take care of themselves and basically help them get to those realizations, not telling them like, you need to do this, you need to do that. Just like asking better questions around their health. Like what would it mean to you if, where do you want to see yourself in 10 years with your kids? Like, are you going to be able to run with your kids or are you not going to be able to? And then uh, just being part of their journey of believing in themselves and reshaping their attitudes around what it means to thrive. Like they deserve to thrive. So being part of that journey, which you were part of mine is so amazing on both ends. Like I no couldn't problem. be, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get up for a second. You're about to make me cry. <sighs> but seriously, like I cannot imagine where I would be if I did not meet you and I didn't invest in myself and so many of us women were like, well, it's too expensive. I'm not worth it. I feel guilty. But at the end of this week, yeah, I had a mom last week. I, she needs to see me and the baby. I treat babies too. And she called and canceled her part of the appointment because she just wants to deal with the baby first because she can't do both, which is super valid. But it just, it broke my heart because I, I mean, self-care, that word's gotten kind of thrown around, right? It's like, does that mean a manicure? Does that mean, what's that mean? But I really think like you're getting at that it boils down to self-worth. Self-worth. Yeah. Do you feel worthy enough to invest in yourself? And I'll tell you this. I had no, I still don't have money, (laughs) but I can give so much more to others. And I mean, the amount of change and impact that I've had on people's lives since putting into myself has paid back to like, I, I, completely changed like what I was bringing in from a monetary and a business success standpoint after that. But, uh, in, but it was, I mean, where would I even be here if I, well, no, I wouldn't be if I didn't see you, but dang. Well, and uh, yeah, I mean, all of those pieces, right. That just fell into place and they were the way they were meant to be. Um, I think what's so powerful when we can make those connections for clients is you can't pour out of an empty vessel. And so, you know, 
meanwhile, we're driving ourselves into the ground to be better moms or better wives or better friends or better therapists or better at whatever it is we do in life. And we're empty and you can't fill yourself back up. And so I think that's one of my greatest joys at work is, yes, I want to take away their pain. Yes, I want them to not pee. Yes, I want them to be able to have sex, but it's not for that. It's for they're feeling like themselves again. It's for that joy of not dreading how, if it's going to hurt that night with their spouse that they desperately want to be with. It's navigating all those questions because they feel so alone. Like we sit here, we talk about vaginas and pee and poop and sex and all those things all day long. And for them, they feel like they're the only ones. And so to be able to bring in all that normalcy and all of that healing is just such a blessing. What does it feel like, like knowing what you, how much impact you have, not only on your patients, but like you've just, the I can't, I, I owe you so much because of how much you've done for me. What does that feel like? Um, like I, I, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I want to chuckle because I mean, I feel like to, I feel like that'd be like me asking you, what's it feel like to hit 120 pound snatch? Like you just do what you do, right? Like, so not that I take it for granted, but I don't spend a lot of time. I probably should spend more time, at least from a gratitude and enjoyment perspective. Um, But I'm just like, I mean, it's so fun. Like it doesn't even, that part just, I'm just grateful that that even happens, you know? Like it doesn't even, Yeah. part of it doesn't even feel like the work. I heard a quote before that like legacy isn't you you never know your legacy because legacy is all the lives you impact like it, indirectly or directly but like if I didn't if I didn't get the help that I got from you I wouldn't be able to have sent been putting out the things that I've been putting out and helping others so I I mean I think I'm grateful that we've built a relationship to the extent that I get to see that. I think like your point about you don't see your legacy. A lot of times we don't ever see people like they discharge or whatever. And we don't even know that then they helped their sister and that their next delivery was way better and that they didn't tear. Like we don't even know all the things that happened, you know, as a partial result of our impact. So um, I'm super grateful that, we do have a relationship and that that's growing and evolving and expanding massively. Um, because yeah, I might, I probably wouldn't ever have known. And you've been so open and sharing stuff with me about what's impacted you. But I haven't unwound yet <laughs> in front of you. It's coming. It's coming. That's new to you. That part's new. It's all good. <laughs> anyway, we won't dive into that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, you know, Moment of Truth family and whatever audience from Bellies, Babies, and Birth and also um, Straight Talk with the Pelvic Docs. Real Talk with Pelvic Docs. Real Talk. Um, Real's better than straight anyway. Um, <laughs> wow, that could have gone a bunch of directions. I didn't, anyways, we're going to skip past that. I didn't mean anything by that. <laughs> Audiences, we love you guys, and we will be bringing more and more to you, and stay tuned for next time. Thanks for listening.